and that video uh, certainly highlights the unique and somewhat fragile idea of harmony. And I find that it can be as fragile uh, in a church as well uh, because we are involved. But the great advantage that a church has is that a church, rightly ordered, is intricately connected to the harmonious one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is the argument of Ephesians chapter 4. And in all of chapters 1 through 3, Paul has talked about our call, what God is doing in a church, how he's, uh, or why we are a church, what makes us unique. Chapter 4 through 6 is how that comes out now. And so, verses 1 through 16, the very first idea of who we are as a church, the very first sign is unity. And he begins uh, talking about walking worthy of the manner of which we've been called. And using these attributes of that encourage uh, unity, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. And then verses 4, 5, 6, you see Paul bringing out the Trinity. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These attributes that come from the Trinity that makes us one. One body, one spirit. He begins with the Spirit because it's where we're at. It's how we understand and know God is His working through the Holy Spirit. So we, He begins where we are with the Spirit of God working in us, making us one body. Then referring to verse 5, to Jesus Christ, God the Son, our Lord, one Lord, who brings out one faith, who issues out one baptism, as which we have seen and witnessed, that we are all identified with Jesus Christ and baptized in Him. And then verse 6, our God, God the Father, one God and Father of all, who is over all, including the church, who is through all, including through the church, and therefore I am ministered to by the body because God is working through the body, and God is, the Father is in all, including the church. Therefore, it matters greatly how I act and react and speak with the church because it is the recognition of God's presence in the church. When I treat the church badly, speak badly, I am speaking badly of God the Father who is in the church. Therefore, you see the listing of behaviors that you see in verses 25 on through to the end of the chapter of, of chapter 4, how we are to speak to one another and act toward one another considering that God is in the church. Uh, this morning, my hope is that we will uh, work and focus on verse 11, originally verse, through verse 16. But as I'm finding, I try my hardest every week to get to verse 16, and I find that it is a slow-going process. And so I do not expect that we'll get to verse 16, perhaps uh, verse 13 uh, this morning. And so uh, in, uh, as we read this together, I'm going to ask that we stand as we honor God by the reading of the word together, if you'll read silently, as I read loud to you, I'm going to go with verse 1, reading all the way through verse 16. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Bearing with one another in love, 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. A grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, that is going to be the introduction thought to what we're going to focus on in verse 11. Verse 8 through 10 is kind of a parathetical comment about Christ, which we looked at last week. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may be seated. So we focus in on verse 11, 12, and 13. There's really only two main ideas I want to bring out to you, but there are a lot of implications, of which I'm just scratching the surface of, um, and I suspect I will continue, Lord willing, next week. But as we read, just keep in your mind, verse 7, how does God create unity in a church? How does Jesus maintain it? It's done by giving of the chief shepherd gifts to the church. That's what you have in verse 7. We looked at that last week with it being Pentecost Sunday last Sunday, of how that was a special day in which God made, brought to fulfillment the reign of Christ as he ascended to be next to the Father, God the Father giving the rule to Jesus Christ over the earth, that demonstrated by the Spirit of God coming to the church. So right now the reign of Christ is working through the church. And it is quite an exalted position for the church. And so Christ is distinctly, specifically interested in every body, every body that claims the name of Christ. And we see that uh, uh, in Revelation Chapter 1 and 2, uh, in fact, the first part of Revelation is, is evidence of that. Now, as we get to verse 11, he brings it to more specific. What are some of the gifts that God has given? And what you have in verse 11 is not an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. In fact, it is uh, gifts that God gives to the church that re- relate to the leadership of the church how it's founded, how it continues. You see in other passages like in Romans chapter 12 and as well as in 1 Corinthians, listing of spiritual gifts. But I do not believe that in the Bible you have an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts that can ever be. It seems to be that as we 
uh, as we see variety in Romans 12, as in 1 Corinthians, as well as Ephesians, that there is a listing here and a listing there, uh, but the, the end of the list is something God only knows. What does that mean? Well, that means for any given church, God will equip that church to minister and proclaim the word and be the residence of God's presence in that culture, in that time. And that may vary what's needed according to culture, according to time. But every church needs to be built upon these giftings that he gives us in verse 11. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, one of the things that we have learned is that Christ is the head of every church. Thus, unity flows from one head, one Lord. But Christ exercises the headship of the church via the Holy Spirit and his gifts. All right? That's one main point, is that Christ exercises his headship by the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gives to a church. So if that's true, there are some important implications. The first implication is this, is that Christ extends his rule in the world by me submitting to his rule. Christ extends his rule into the world by me submitting to his rule. This is something I've hit on the last couple weeks, is that for us to be followers of Jesus Christ, it is absolutely critical that we have submissive spirits uh, to the Spirit of God. That we always are willing to say at any given time, God, you have permission to cross my will. You have permission to cross my will in the church. If we do not have that humble spirit before God, then a spirit of dissension rises in our hearts within rebellion in our own spirit. And that is why it is so important for us every day to recognize that Jesus is king. He is king of my goals, my ambitions, my future, my work, my driving, my hobbies, my church life, my family life, and that at any moment we give God permission to say, you cross my will. Rebellion in a church begins with rebellion in our heart against God. So are we living daily under his sovereign rule? Secondly, an implication, as we read this passage, is not only does Christ's rule extend not only through my submission to his will, but Christ's sovereign rule extends by me being committed to a local church. By me being committed to a local church. You see this as we see his gifts being carried out, that they are speaking to a local church. The Ephesians church that this is being written to is a local church that God is specifically interested in and he knows the strengths and weaknesses of that church last sunday we looked at how we see this at the end in revelation chapter one i want us to go there again revelation chapter one 
keep your finger in Ephesians. I just want to bring out some observations. As Jesus is being revealed to John on the Isle of Patmos, he sees this vision of Jesus, but it's unique, it's different, and what's around him. Revelation 1 verse 12, I had turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and then turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. Notice his words are the two-edged sword, what comes from his mouth. His face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you've seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. As we continue in Revelation chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, he writes a letter to each one of the churches. And in these letters, you get keen insight by Jesus Christ himself knowing the strengths and weaknesses of every church. And he writes a letter to the angel. The word angel, angelos, literally means messenger. And he writes a letter to the messenger of each church and knows and reveals to them what the strength and weaknesses is and warns each church. And he sees that in each church there is a, a work that needs to happen, that there is a drifting away from what he has called the church to do and be. And so these letters are revitalizing efforts by Jesus himself to say, listen, church, if you do not do these things, I know these things, and if you look and and turn away, I can remove the lampstand from my presence. And that is the word of warning. What does it mean to remove the lampstand? He says the lampstand is the church. To remove the lampstand of the church is that the church ceases to exist and relevance to the community to teach the way of God to the community. They no longer are effective in the community. This local church of Ephesus is one of the churches mentioned in Revelation. And the things that Jesus mentions to them, though you have this word of instruction, this unity that, that say of, of being one, he says, there's one thing that I've noticed about you. You've lost your first love. Return to loving me. And though you do good, if you don't return to loving me, I will remove the lampstand from my presence. Has the lampstand of Ephesus been removed? If you go to that area of Turkey, there is no church of Ephesus there. 
In fact, even before the Muslims came into that area, it was said that the church ceased to be of effect, of relevance. According to studies done, there are in our country over a thousand churches a year that close their doors and affect you're saying, and we read from Scripture, God has removed the lampstand. I say this to you because this church, though we have healthy number of people here, perhaps comfortable, it has shown signs of those who study churches of decline in relationship to the community that we live in. I say this to us because I believe that Jesus knows our strengths and he knows our weaknesses. And as I read this scripture, he holds me in his hands as a messenger. Those who teach God's word And there is a warning that goes out and says to every church, including Green Pines, there is a time when I can take the lampstand away. Listen carefully to these words. And I don't want to bring my opinion. I am as a messenger And there is one who speaks whose tongue is as a double-edged sword. And his word is spoken to us in Ephesians chapter 4. And when I say to you that Christ exercised the headship of the church via the Holy Spirit and his gifts, I would say to you, by implication, it is necessary that we are a part of a church. That we commit to the local body. I believe there is a judgment that takes place where God says, I have given to you gifts and abilities. Did you exercise them in the church that I called you to be? There is an accounting that must take place. To extend Christ's sovereign rule over all, I must be committed to the local church. To extend Christ's sovereign rule over all, I must engage with that church and the work that is being done. How is that to be done? By knowing your gifts. Knowing your spiritual gifts. You see, in this passage, when in verse 7, Christ was given, grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. If this is true, that God exercises his headship through the Spirit and his spiritual gifts, then, by implication, you must make it a priority to know your spiritual gifts and work with it. Do you know how God has gifted you? He has given you abilities, a burden to share for the purpose of building up the body. So let me just give you some helpful tools. You can do these surveys. There's all kinds of surveys. I found that they're only as helpful as you're honest to those questions or that you know yourself. I think that perhaps maybe a better testing or better uh, working or things to figure out is by just 
trying, just testing. There are some things that you will know. When you are serving your gifting, there will be a charging up of your own spirit in the working of it. When you're working in this, you'll, you'll be energized in the work that you do. But secondly, there will be an affirmation by the body in the work that you do. In other words, when you are working in that, there will be those in the body who will say to you and will recognize and bring attention to you that you exercising that gift is helping our body grow. There must be the affirmation of the body itself as well as within an internal checking of your heart and energizing of that work. Secondly, or thirdly, I would also bring to your attention what are the things you're critical of in a church? Even as this morning as you're sitting and and going through the Sunday and you've kind of gone through the exercises of it, you've kind of thought through and you're you're kind of stewing on something or or you're frustrated by something or you see that continually coming in week in and week out, it could very well be that you notice it because you are burdened by it and you have eyes to see it. You'd be amazed that there's somebody in the church that won't even notice the things that frustrate the dickens out of you. How can you not know that or see that? Well, it's just not a burden to them. But it is to you. It could very well be that God is gearing you toward that. These are just some things that I would bring to your attention. But I would just ask you, have you employed yourself? Have you thought about how God has gifted you in this work? I've got to continue on going to verse 11. But I would just bring this to your attention. He gives in verse 11 these narrowly listed giftings that involve leadership. He gave the apostles. What were the apostles? Well, the apostles were unique to the first church, the early church, and that these were men, according to Scripture, who were uh, spent time with Jesus, uh, working with him, knowing his, his teaching. Uh, And so uh, they were called out. Apostle means literally sent out ones. Uh, So you see some listings of this of Acts chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, They were commissioned directly by Jesus. In Galatians 2, verse 7 and 8. Uh, And so as such, they were unique to that time. They were gifted by the Holy Spirit to recall the things that Jesus taught us, to give us most, the bulk of the New Testament. And so the church is now built upon the apostles' teaching. Because the role and qualifications were unique, when they died, there seemed to be no legitimate successors because the qualifications were listed to that, that role. So consequently, when I hear of a church today or someone go by the name Apostle so-and-so, then I automatically know that they have a different definition of apostleship than what I know from the Bible. We keep on reading, knowing that that gifting of apostleship ended with the early church. And then he lists out, again, the prophets. The prophets were uh, inspired, worked by God, not to necessarily give us more revelation. Uh, That canon has been closed with the early church, but these are uh, folks who have been uh, directed by the Holy Spirit to enable the church to know what is coming ahead and to work accordingly. 
In fact, we see this working in the book of Acts in the early church to know that there was a famine coming that would impact the believers in Jerusalem area. And so the churches of Macedonia were used to uh, raise up their giftings, their monies to help the church worldwide. And you see this in, in various roles. And so this is something I would not necessarily say is closed uh, in, the, in the working of God anymore, that it could very well be that God works and enables some people gifted to know what is to come. We keep on reading and see that there are some that were given as evangelists. God has called every believer to be a disciple maker. So he's called upon all of us to share our story of God is working in us and making a difference in life and sharing the gospel that God loves us. He is pursuing us despite our sin, but our sin has uh, uh, derailed our relationship and demolished our relationship with God. But God has worked to overcome our sin through Jesus Christ. That is the good news and fulfill righteousness and to make us one with him. That is the gospel. He's called all of us to share that, proclaim that in our unique stories, in our ways. But there are some that God has gifted in the ability of bringing people to himself. And this is why I believe that in our season, we need to be praying for God to gift our church with evangelists. Those who will be raised up in our church or brought to our church who will boldly proclaim with great spiritual fruit in the lives around us. These were gifts that God has given and then you see that there is the, the pastor, the teacher, the shepherd. Uh, it could very well be that these are referring to uh, one. Some believe that he's referring to two separate tasks. But nonetheless, there is an overlapping of this, of the, uh, the shepherd, the pastor. We see this terminology interchangeable with elder and overseer in the New Testament. These get passed around. Uh, but it refers to our, our caretaking, not just physically, but spiritually to feed God's people his word to protect the church with the word and to be guarding over it as well as to oversee and direct the church in this work. As you see this in in the teaching role. As we look at this, understand that these all are gifts from God. Christ exercised headship by giving the church leaders By giving church leaders that builds up himself. That would be the second main point with a lot of implications. Christ exercises headship over green pines by giving church leaders that builds up Christ. All right? So if that's true, the leader's focus is to be on equipping for the Lord's work. Equipping for the Lord's work. We see this in verse 12. These Pastors, these teachers, the evangelists, they're to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. You ever said, uh, uh, there was an Oklahoma football coach back when Oklahoma was really good in football, and uh, a, a media uh, person was asking the coach, do you think that, that football is helping the health of our nation?" The coach responded, absolutely not. It is not helping. My definition of football is watching 22 people who are in desperate need of rest by 22,000 people who are in desperate need of exercise. I thought, well, yeah, as I rest and I look forward to the football season of napping through the games. 
But in some ways, sometimes we can see church as exactly that, of, of having a group of people to support a few people who will do the work of the ministry. But in, is the exact opposite of that in the Bible, that it is a few people that God has gifted and equipped to equip the church for the work of the ministry. The effectiveness of the church is not measured necessarily in the quality of the preaching. The effectiveness of the church is measured in the ability of disciples to make disciples to send out. Which is wholly rested, not just on the pastors, but wholly rested on us, the body. Are we making disciples? When you see the church at its highest effect, it is when the Lay people, the folks who are not bearing the title pastor, see themselves empowered to do the work of the ministry, and they do the work of the ministry. It's interesting as we study the movement of the church in China, that uh, when the rebellions came and they kicked out the Western missionaries and they kicked out the Catholic church leaders, that how we watched the Catholic church die in China because it was rested upon the leaders, the priests. They were no longer there. But instead we saw in the evangelical church, the, uh, the Protestant churches, that when the, the missionaries left, that the church blew up because the believers of China realized that it was no longer resting on the missionaries. It was going to rest upon them. And it absolutely blew up and still blows up today. Because there is a sense within that church in China that as a believer, I am called to do the work of the ministry. Work of the ministry primarily being making disciples. The leader's focus is on equipping for the Lord's work. The leader's primary tool is the Word of God. Word of God. You see this as, as we think about verse 13. If we look to the goal of the church being unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Interesting how unity of faith is equated with the knowledge of the Son of God, that we know God. And to know God, we must see how He has revealed Himself through His Word. Not just to know about God. Paul, where you go, is not to teach your students just to know about God, but your students know God. Ripken, as you go, that if he calls you into the ministry is to teach them to know God, which means you must know God yourself, not just know about him. But it is indispensable with the word of God. As we see even the image of Revelation of the sword, of the double-edged sword coming out of the mouth of Christ. It is why I'm committed to teaching you verse by verse. As we've seen the movements of God happen in churches, it's happened verse by verse, explaining to you the Word of God and what it says. But not only to explain it, to say, I want you to learn how to do this. I want you to know how to read this for yourself and say, what does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about me? Is there anything I need to obey in this? Is there anything I need to avoid in this? To read it for yourself, to give you a thirst to know it yourself. As pastors... Our tool is the Word of God. As we read this, another implication, if, if Christ exercised headship by giving the, gifted, giving the church leaders that build up himself, if that's true, then the implication is that the presence of gifted leaders is the evidence of God's tending hand. To understand 
that if God gifts us with an evangelist, if God gifts us with a pastor and teacher, it is as a gift from God. When there is an absence of people effectively teaching the word of God, it is perhaps indicative of God removing the lampstand. When God gifts us with people who seek God's will and want to see God's will be done and God's gifted them with leadership gifts, that is itself a gift from God. If you are such a leader, then what does it mean to see yourself as a gift? It is to say that all of your gifts belong to the church. If I'm a gift to this church in some way, then that means my teaching ministry doesn't belong to me. They're owned by Green Pines Baptist Church for the purposes God intended to build up this body for as long as God will allow me. And pray that all of us, as we are inter- all interim, every single one of us all all interim, that God will raise up others to come after us. The leader's goal is unity of Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. We're coming to an end of time. But the measurement of a church isn't how great that worship service is. The measurement of the church isn't even how many baptisms there are. The measurement of the church isn't the budget The measurement of the church isn't how many folks are in a Sunday school class. According to the scripture, the measurement of a church is more and more people growing Christ-like. And if that's the case, then I take moments of challenge. I take moments of of perhaps maybe... uh, wondering of what does this all mean? I take moments of of challenges in leadership, take moments of challenges in worship to say this is a God-ordained moment for us to learn what does it mean to follow God in this moment, for us to gain Christ. And so the challenges that have come in any church's life, the leader, the pastor looks at it and says, you know what, I don't like it, I don't enjoy it, but this is a God-given moment, and I want to have Christ in this moment. And church, will you in this moment seek to say, let's have Christ? In the moments when we don't always agree about any number of things which will happen at any given time, it is a God-ordained moment to say, does these things matter more than Christ? And will I pursue Christ over these things? And I thank God for those moments. You're going to find that happens in your personal life when things are hard, difficult, not like what you want it to be, whether physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually, financially. But in those moments, you've got to see it as a God-ordained moment for you to seek Christ in that time and to pursue Him. And that's part of what it means for all of these things are working together. All of these things, God is working together for His good to fulfill His purposes of Christ-likeness. As we pray for our church, let us pray, God, in 2017, help us to be more like you. Not just personally, but as a church together, let us be more like you. 
Well, there's many more implications. I pray God will give me time to share this with you, Lord willing, next week. Let's close in prayer.